Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 140 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right, back again this time with Eric Pfaff, food and beverage manager at the Hewing Hotel. Very and nice how long have you been at the Hewing now? Uh, been there almost a year now. That's wild because it feels like it just happened and time is a flat circle. I and I can't decide what is a month and what is a year at this point in time. But I hear, hey, there's a new F&B director at Hewing. Obviously, they're going to be placing the orders, but you should come in, meet them. And then I meet you and I'm like, where are you from? And you're out from the East Coast. And then you're in and you're like, I own a and b which I think these days when most people are like, oh, I, you know, I do B&Bs, they're like, oh, so you own like Airbnbs, like, nope, old school, classic bed and breakfast. But outside of that, outside of that first time of really meeting and talking a little bit about where you came from, I want to hear your story of like how you got into this game in the first place, because to me, hotels from the outside looking in seem like one of the most stressful things to manage because it's almost like you're combining every type of food and beverage business into one and then also a hospitality business that you're running. So you're having to manage a restaurant, which is doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're having to manage the guest experience. And so you're thinking of all these different things combined into one business, not to mention, not to mention the amount of people involved in that whole process. But I'm curious, before we get too much into that, Kind of what your story is, where you're originally from, how did you end up owning a and b and then what uh, what prompted the move to move out here to Minnesota and be the F&B director for Hewing Hotel? Well, I should clarify, I am the AM food and beverage manager. Our F&B director is Jen Seiler, and she's a great leader and uh, came in at about the same time I did. But yeah, um, I moved out here about a year ago. I have a lot of family out in Minnesota, but I'm originally from the Chicagoland area, Crystal Lake, Illinois. Yep. Uh, so yeah, halfway between Chicago and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I uh, used to sell beer in that area. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. But uh, I actually was in theater for a long time. So I uh, went to school at Millican University and I got to study in London and I studied Shakespeare, which brought me out here for a little while. I was an apprentice at the Great River Shakespeare Festival in Winona, Minnesota. <laughs> uh, so that's what got me after college. I was on a American History Children's Theater tour on the East Coast. And about six months before the tour contract should be ended, I had given up my lease in Chicago. I had one suitcase. They canceled it. So oh, up until then, I had worked in restaurants. I mean, I'd started in hospitality at 13 as a caddy. Uh, and then 16, a busboy at a deep dish pizza place. And when, you know, that's the thing. I've started in every job in this. I was always the busboy carrying four bins to the back, Mm -hmm. you know, running out, testing my time. You know, this is deep dish pizza. But for me, it was the big show. And I remember asking my parents, do you think I can get a job here? (laughs) Uh, And that's when I really started in hospitality. But then I didn't have much waiting experience, and I'm stuck in New York, and I need to find a way to make rent. So I start applying everywhere. Everyone wants two, three years experience. So I get my first job at an overnight French bistro in the West Village. So I worked 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. I would do Shakespeare shows and rehearsals 7 to 10. I would do rehearsals, even some kids' birthday parties. I have been Superman, and uh, (laughs) I did some Frozen parties. (laughs) Uh, And I started working at the French Roast in the West Village in this really weird shift where it was known for 
to be this haunt that was always open where you can get a steak of poivre at 3 a.m. Uh, and so I started learning about food, and I started learning about wine, and they were really gracious with me. Uh, they would take us to Corbett Coffee uh, to do learn about the roasting, and they would bring out the, the spinning tasting table and really taught us, you know, really gracious of them to take overnight waiters and bussers and all that and see the potential in them. And so they gave me a lot of education. I worked there for a while, hopped over to a place uh, called Rosemary's, but where I really found my footing was a place called Crave Fish Bar on the Upper West Side. I was part of the opening staff, and we were sustainable seafood and all uh, the probably the best oyster happy hour in the city. So it was buck a shuck, and I took it upon myself to become the oyster es- expert. Uh, we worked with Billion Oyster Project. I was reading Mark Kurlansky's, uh The Big Oyster about history of o- oysters and American restaurant culture. Uh, and in, I had a great boss there named Brian Owens. And he was one of those guys, you know, always buy you a staff drink after and sit and drink it with you. Uh, he would ride, we did bike MS, he would ride the races with us. And he was always interested in teaching you more. And he called me the sponge. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was an actor still then, uh, auditioning, doing more voiceover and commercial, uh, and I wasn't loving that. And hospitality comes to me, you know, I came from a family that didn't go out to eat much. Uh, my mom was a great cook. Money was tight. Uh, the first time I had a beautiful meal out was in Paris. I have some family out on the West Coast who are in the art business, and they were making a purchase in Paris while I was studying in London, told me to come out. If I can make it there, they'll take care of everything. And I just remember the first, they took me to a very nice hotel restaurant, and they said, order an appetizer, entree, and dessert. And I looked at the prices, and I said, no, 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 I can just get just one thing. And they said, order an appetizer, entree, and dessert. And I did. And I can still remember that sliced octopus I had with the light olive oil. Like, it's, it's one of those meals that lights a fire in you. Um, and I remember service-wise, I was squinting at the menu, and one of the waiters brought a tray of glasses. And that made the hugest impact on me. I tell this story when I'm training. Um, so, yeah, I was working in New York, and learning a lot. Uh, New York had this also great opportunity, New York Business Solutions, to give free business classes. So I would go and I started workshopping this idea of a bed and breakfast. Uh, I was with a partner at that time and, you know, the Jersey Shore was one of our favorite places, Cape May. Uh, And coming from my family, I I may have mentioned my mother before, but she's a great host, can host like 60 people, make it look effortless, always had the holidays. And I just kind of grew up with that. So it just seemed kind of natural. Well, it seemed like a far out dream. I tell people 35, 35. Um, and that, that's, that's what I'm saying is like this far out dream. It almost sounds like at the time, you know, you're in service and then you're like, I'm going to open a bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. How, like where did that, uh, I guess at what point did that become, shift from the far out dream to actually that first step of like, this is actually starting to happen now? Uh, I started not wanting to just wait tables for the rest of my life. So around 26, 27, um, I did get engaged to that person, who I'm no longer with, but with someone now, I'm very happy. Uh, But I got engaged, and I started thinking about family and started thinking about taking care of them. Uh, 
acting, as much as I love, Shakespearean actors do not get paid very much. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're saying Shakespearean acting is not a lucrative career? <laughs> oh my God, I, if only, if only, if anyone has a job, call me up. <laughs> I'll, I'll moonlight. But uh, so I started working this idea in the New York Business Solutions, early names for it were the Oyster Beds in. Like I was just, no one could talk to me without me going off on oysters. I just, <laughs> I'm an ADD brain. When I get into something, I hyperfixate and I learn everything about I, it. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, uh, turns out my partner at that time's uncle did mortgage banking for bed and breakfast, and he found a property in Philadelphia that was at an amazing price. We were looking at the Jersey Shore, thinking two or three million more. Uh, we had saved taken all of our wedding money she had a small inheritance and uh we were able to scrounge together a down payment and take out an eight hundred thousand dollar loan um and we we heard about it in, in february and bought it within like 45 days wow um so i went from waiting tables and actually i took a job as a sandwich guy in between to learn like Food handling, because I'd always mm -hmm. been front of house. I could always talk about our plancha grilled barramundi uh, with soy some leeks and mint and a cumin mustard vinaigrette and pickled mustard seeds on top. But I never cooked it myself. I was right. always an amateur cook. So I took a line cook job for a month and learned as much as I could. Some of the best phrases I've ever learned were obsess, don't stress when you get that big crush. Uh, take one thing at a time. Mm. Uh, and I still... Still uh, take a lot of lessons. I felt really bad leaving so early. Shout out to Astoria Beer and Cheese. Uh, you guys are great. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you taught me a lot. And then we moved in in graduation. It was 90% occupancy. Now, this had been a bed and breakfast for 22 years, but it had not been updated in 22 years. Hmm. It was very much grandma's B&B. Uh, doilies, dust, outdated furniture. Uh, and they were doing kind of a continental during the week and a cooked thing on weekends and coming from New York City restaurants working lots of brunches I had a commitment to make sure everything was a restaurant level brunch dish and it always had to be different and then I had to deal with dietary restrictions so we moved in at 90% occupancy um, with no training <laughs> and we learned while doing door handles falling off uh, shower handles coming up water coming from ceilings uh, it is a beautiful building. Uh, I should mention it is Cornerstone Bed and Breakfast. Our Instagram is Cornerstone Philadelphia. Uh, it's built in 1860 and is a six-room Victorian bed and breakfast. True mom and pop wraparound porch. We are right on Drexel's University and uh, Penn University, right across from the Rocky Steps. Hmm. So you can get to the Liberty Bell in about 15 minutes on the if you take the subway. Um, but it it was beautiful and. I wanted to do something with my life. Uh, I saw a lot of people in our generation feeling, especially at that time, we would never own anything. And that if I didn't take a big risk, I never would. And it was great to begin with. We worked hard. First week was new beds. It was uh, new, bringing robes in, bringing up, upping our amenities, painting rooms, refinishing floors. I mean, through the three years that I ran it, we replaced every bit of furniture and repainted every wall and fixed every single problem that could possibly have happened. And had you done anything like this, any of this type of work no. before prior to this? I read a lot of hotel books. 
I read every bed and breakfast book that was out there. I got the Cornell Red Book of Hospitality. And I watched a lot of Hotel Nightmares. <laughs> and that's, it's funny, I was just talking with uh, Katie, who owns Angel Food, about this. It's like one day she's like learning how to repipe the water because they had to put in a new wall by their sink. And then the next day painting a mural for the, and it's like, the, in today's age, it's kind of like between the internet and all the resources that are available. It's kind of like my mentality on it is, well, someone's done it before. Thank you, YouTube. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like someone's done it before. So there is a way to do it. And now between YouTube and audiobooks and just like all the digital resources that are available, you kind of have to have that mindset. It's like, I have no idea how to do this. But if someone has done it, that means there's probably a video about it, and then I can find out how to do that. Well, yeah, and I did not know how to do a lot of things. I had not cooked breakfast, especially I was more of a savory dinner cook before. <laughs> I did not know how to manage a 150-year-old house, but thanks to old house groups and all that, there is a very thriving community for any question you might have. My old house fix is a great one. Uh, and I didn't know how to run a business. <laughs> um, but we had done the metrics. I had gotten basic business uh, training from New York Business Solutions, but I was a theater major who was a carpenter for the scenic department in college and a busboy and a waiter before this. Um, but I was very good with people, and I always had the hospitality, and that part was very easy. Um, so we, I mean, not just uh, the building, but the entire business from booking systems. We were Our booking system was hacked within, with, from the previous owners, and we bought it hacked. And all of our uh, data for our guest was breached, not just our bookings, but every booking systems from, I won't mention the name, but we had to switch that and deal with that. We had check fraud early on. Um, and so we had to very much learn to update our website, update all of our booking. I mean, nowadays it's no longer just open up the yellow pages and say, oh, there's a bed and breakfast. We are competing in a large hotel market and there is no separate category for bed and breakfast we are put, lumped together with the hiltons and the marriott's and the big boxes and they don't really put that much consideration for mom and pops it is a who you know kind of city and that was something we had to really fight for for visibility uh and this was all before covid yeah. <laughs> so we did all this work got it going well uh and then covid hit um we started getting the phone calls for cancellations um and that was tough we stayed afloat we, it was kind of like a wonderful life. We took some of our money to give uh, back money to people. We begged people to take uh, vouchers for the future. Um, and a lot of people were actually very kind about it. And then we started applying for every grant, every PPP, every single possible local thing we could get for small businesses. Uh, uh, with my partner, she, she applied for women-owned businesses. And then uh, we just stuck continue to improve the business we would um get up every day and mulch or paint the deck or re-wallpaper a room or paint something and i would continue to uh, reach out to news networks to get on the news talk about small business and it's about small lodging and we were accepted select registry which is distinguishings of north america um, and they came and they do a 500 point evaluation they stay with you they take thousands of pictures and show you every dust, every lint ball. Uh, and that's where we really established our standards. So they, we thought we had high standards before and they showed us like 
every little thing. We were doing the food well. We were doing the hospitality well. I learned so much about housekeeping. Oh, that's why if you stay at a bed and breakfast, you know there's an owner crouching underneath that bed, even after the housekeeper has been in, to make sure there are no dust bunnies. <laughs> uh, and just attention to detail. To, I mean, being an owner of a bed and breakfast sounds like I walk around with coffee. I'm crouching in the bathroom looking for hairs with a lint brush. <laughs> And I am baking cookies and granola, and that's all fun. But I'm also, uh, you know, deep, arm deep in the garbage disposal when it breaks. It's a little different than the Lifetime movie uh, representation of being a quaint uh, B&B owner. I I did say that my girlfriend and I were thinking of having a sexy Hallmark party. And we were like, everyone would come as innkeepers. (laughs) (laughs) It is one of the most, uh, I believe, envied positions out there and one of the most misunderstood Mm. because all this time I was living off the kitchen I never left uh when the phone rang we had it was two people who had to answer it when the doorbell rang you had to be there um so it was coming from New York City big nightlife to waking up at five to prep breakfast to do yard work it was an adjustment you became Mm. basically middle-aged very quickly (laughs) Um, but the guests were great, and to own something was great. And we ran that for three years. We got through the pandemic. Um, we would give rooms as donations for doctors. We did whatever we could to help our community as well. Uh, donated to, I was on my local civic association as a board member, um, and we helped get our neighborhood into uh, labeled as historic district um, because Philadelphia is a beautiful city, but rapidly changing as it improves. And one of its greatest things in its history. And we really wanted to help preserve that. Uh, another big <laughs> architectural preservation is a big uh, passion of mine as well. So we got oysters, hotels, architectural preservation. <laughs> <laughs> the natural progression. Just a normal guy. <laughs> um, so we got through that, and we just constantly got good reviews. We Every single guest reached out to. We, I mean, I'm talking about, like, putting out full romance packages when we hear someone got engaged, running out with champagne. Uh, make If someone says they like Diet Coke, I will run out and get Diet Coke for breakfast because that's their coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone, the one bad review we got is they didn't like there wasn't a TV in the bedroom, so they went to dinner and they had a bottle of champagne and a brand new TV I just bought installed in their bedroom. Uh, so I learned very much because there are other great bed and breakfasts too who also have great reviews. So one slip up. Uh, and then we're the select registry uh, level of standards is what really helped establish just what the guest experience should be. And that's what I was based off of. And um, then after three years, that relationship did end. We decided to get an innkeeper to run it due to the fact that it's running so well. Uh, we're up 30% this March, <laughs> year after year. And we're still returning to 20 Uh, 2019 numbers but getting there very quickly Mm -hmm. we recover the same as the philadelphia hotel scene recovers in a lot of ways um but then i moved out to minneapolis and being a breakfast chef uh, i saw an opening at the healing hotel for their uh breakfast uh am manager so i get in around 6 6 30 and i leave around 4 35 uh and i'm unlike the dinner managers where there's a number of them there i'm the person there and the restaurant and lounge rooftop opens at five so that's not open uh but i wanted to learn leadership as well i wanted to learn uh how to run a larger team because i actually do have a larger plan 
when we sell Cornerstone, I would like to open up a more boutique hotel style. Mm. Uh, and the biggest thing I've learned from Hewing is money is in events. <laughs> we've done micro weddings, we've done all that, but I didn't really have a huge event space at Cornerstone. I would like the next thing. So eventually I'd like to learn a larger hotel business. I'd like to learn, instead of me doing everything, how the different systems in a hotel works. Uh, how to be a better leader in how to manage people. Uh, and then, I mean, I still... I bought the bed and breakfast at 28. I am just turned 32. I'm still junior in my career. I still have so much to learn. I just swing big fast and I'm not afraid to strike <laughs> out. And it's it, going back to kind of the approach to the B&B business is, it, and I think this is applicable to almost all small businesses, especially is there's kind of two ways to look at it and you go, well, the customer is not expecting this, so we don't need to offer it. Or the customer is not going to expect us to get a TV for their room. Most businesses would just say, sorry, we don't have TVs, take it or leave it. And there seems to be kind of two approaches. It's doing what is expected, which is fine. You know, it's, it's like if I stay at a and b that doesn't have TVs and I say, oh, we were really hoping to watch this or this and that is... I'm not going to write a bad review, but I'm also not going to go out of my way to be like, this was the best experience possible or the opposite approach, which it sound is, sounds like with your passion for hospitality is the approach that you go, we're not just looking to give them the bare minimum experience of what might be expected. We want someone to leave here and have that be a memorable experience. You nailed it on the head. Um, it's not just, we said this isn't a day's in. We would from the manicured gardens to the fresh baked snacks to the making sure that there was free tea and coffee, putting out wine every single night. If we saw a review that someone liked something else at another hotel, we did everything we could to add it to mm. ours. And we, our prices, while the hotels are going five, six, seven hundred dollars $700, even our two-bedroom jacuzzi suite on the roof, uh, on the, the third floor goes for at most 450 around 280 most days. Because we do want it to be accessible. Uh, we want to make sure that this can be something that multiple people in different economic groups can experience. And to know that, that, it, that when they are there, I'm a big Danny Meyer fan. He always talks about it's not just a meal they're going to. It is the winter they went through, the relationship breakup they just came from, uh, the stress at work, they, the, how hard it was to find a babysitter. And who am I to not do everything possible to take care of you? It's funny you bring that up because you and I were just talking about this, that, and it was Danny Meyer. It was from one of his books that he had someone in one of his restaurants that was visiting New York City, and the, the server was just asking, hey, like, how was, how's your visit to New York City? It's your last night. Did you get to do everything you expected? And I believe the story went something along the lines of everything was amazing, except we actually never got to try an authentic New York City hot dog stand. And most people in that scenario is like, oh, that's a bummer. Well, hopefully you really enjoyed this meal. Danny sends someone out to run out to an authentic New York City hot dog stand, get a hot dog, and cut it up so that everyone in their group could try this hot dog before they left. And those are the types of experiences. You'll never forget that. That's the type of experience for the rest of your life. You'll be like, that was crazy. And those are the types of experiences I think for small business is some people go, well, that's not really necessary. And I look at that and go, that's the type of thing that makes it necessary to survive long term. 
because as a small business, you're competing against larger businesses with much greater resources, a lot more cash to be able to do things and offer services and have convenience and technology that smaller businesses just can't afford or have the capability or team to be able to do. So it's those types of small, like seemingly small acts that I think are the only thing that can create the word of mouth and reputation that will make you survive long term. Yeah. Because I think one thing that happened during COVID is obviously there was a huge push towards buy local, but that can only sustain you for so long. It's like I never market folly as bias because we're local. I market as like bias because we're phenomenal coffee and we happen to be local. Yeah. And it, I think COVID brought awareness that like buying local isn't just about like, oh, it feels good. It's kind of a nice catchphrase. It's kind of as cliche. It's something I like to do. It changed it to like, if you don't do this, all of these things disappear. But as COVID kind of seems to be in the rear view mirror, you sense that excitement for that or the passion behind buy local, buy has disappeared, not disappeared, but is starting to fade slowly. And I think it's shifting back towards like, what is the actual product being offered? What is the service being offered? And I will tell you that the person who said, oh, we really wanted to watch this and a TV ends up in their room tailored completely to their experience, that is a major difference maker. If I go to a Hilton or a, a, a hotel like that and they don't have TVs, I wouldn't even think to bring it up. I'd just be like, well, this is just what it is. It's a big you know, corporate chain. They're not going to go out of their way to make this one room for this one night a big deal. And it is something you see in small businesses that you go, what is it you like about them is you can form a reputation. It takes a lot of hard work, but you can form a reputation of the expectation that they're going to go above and beyond to, to give you this service, to give you the product that you're looking for. And then you just have this feeling around this business that's like, you feel taken care of, whether it's like us selling coffee online or you hewing as a wholesale customer. That's almost like my expectation is that if something's slightly off, I want to cultivate customers that want to reach out. Yes. Thank you for those emergency orders. <laughs> but like that's, and, and that's, that's an interesting thing. Cause it seems odd. Well, no, if a customer is having an issue, they're going to bring it up and you go, if it's a bad issue, most of the stuff the small stuff, most people won't bring up and you almost have to form this reputation of, no, we want to always be getting better. I want to know when things aren't going great. I don't want to just know when things are going bad because, I mean, this happened recently. You lose customers when you only find out about it when they said, this is bad. And you go, I didn't know about it until now. Well, now we're switching coffees. And it's like, if we had just known. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like, how do you cultivate those relationships where they know the expectation that if something's going poorly, we want to not only make it right, but also make it so that it's great. Oh, yeah. If any, if you're inconvenienced in any way, you shouldn't just get it for free. You should be compensated in some way. But you talked about it a lot, um, just the personal service. With business travelers, it's really tough to get them. P business travelers and hotels are so adamant about points. It's been a great reward system. I mean, we do have a select registry reward system that does give points that you can use at all the select registry properties. But the personalized service... Um, I, it's, it's tough to pick the amount of stories. We would do private dining rooms for people during COVID. They could bring in, take out food, and we'd set candlelight dinners. The amount we would go out of our way, um, I was always going to a cupcake place down the street or the restaurant school to pick up pastries. Always. If I heard about something, I'm buying you a pastry. And this came out of my pocket. 
Uh, and I, that's why I like working at Hewing, especially at breakfast. It is a busy shift on the weekends, but allows me a lot of personal connection with guests. I get to connect with people. I get to service recover with people. I get to hear about their lives, and I get to celebrate with them. Um, I'm definitely never stingy if I hear about an anniversary or birthday to send out celebration bubbles or to send out a pastry. I think people need to be acknowledged. I think that's why they come out. And what is missing in the larger businesses is that acknowledgement that being everyone just wants to feel seen. And so I think I've developed a lot of my hospitality science very well. I think where I've got room to grow is the bigger business sides. And the leadership is where I am working on now and managing a team and making mistakes. And thank you guys for, for helping me grow as a leader uh, and learning and adjusting the type of leader, leadership style I can do to make, first of all, hospitality has changed. The grind mentality is dead. Hmm. People want work-life balance. They want a job that makes them feel like they have purpose, but then to be able to leave it and not have to carry it with them when mm. they go home. I can totally relate living in a bed and breakfast for three years, 24 hours a day, 365. Uh, we didn't take a break for the first like 150 days. I know what burnout feels like and I can see when someone doesn't feel value in what they're doing. And that's what I'm really wanting to do. Some of the leadership things I'm doing um, from another manager, they gave us the idea of 1%. We're trying to be 1% better every week. We pick one strength instead of constantly hounding, hounding, hounding. We get one skill each week. And then uh, feedback. I do a high-low with every staff member. What was your high? What was your low today? Uh, but beyond that, just in leadership, I believe in being on the floor, on the ground, sleeves up manager, um, constantly helping and being a part of your team. I see myself as working for my team. I still see it as a caddy mentality. It's my job to keep the rate of play going. If something goes wrong, you know, I'm great with the service recoveries. If, <laughs> if there is a drink spilled or something, I will be right there and I will make it right. Uh, but otherwise, I see myself as a part of the team. And that's coming from a I did everything mentality to learning again how to be better with many uh, has been the greatest strength I think I've gained at Hewing. And what you're saying reminds me of this book I read. It was called Small Giants. And the premise of this, I've definitely referenced it on here before, but the premise of the book is most of the business, successful businesses you read about or you see highlighted are companies that went public, multi-hundred million dollar companies, and you don't hear about the companies that are privately owned. And this book basically highlighted successful companies that are privately owned and they tend to be, they're definitely not small, but like small compared to what you normally hear about. And one of the resounding themes they found out throughout all these different companies is they basically went into it with a blank, blank slate. They said, we want to figure out the magic sauce here. What is going on that these companies all have this cool factor, this like intangible factor that's creating success. And one of the main things they found is that money was never the number one focus. And obviously, you need to be profitable to be sustainable long term. But none of these companies was that the number one focus. It's almost like an afterthought that if there is a decision to be made, let's say in hospitality, if the decision is between a better cu customer experience or saving some money and increasing our margin on that, that guest stay, you go great short term 
strategy would be, well, take the money. That's, you know, you're more profitable and the customer doesn't need this. You know, it's not something they expect. Or you flip it around and you go, no, the customer experience is the number one priority. If that means spending extra money or doing things to go out of our way, even just having someone spend time on something is essentially spending money because this is somebody that is now spending their time that they're being paid for to do this. And it's across all of these companies that the number one focus was never profit or money. It was the product itself. It was the customer, the experience, what they're getting out of it. Because I think when you take that approach of, well, we just want to keep our margins. We want to actually boost margins, increase profitability. Long-term, it almost creates a failing strategy that you're creating a strategy in which the customer is secondary towards the profitability of that business. And long-term, you're not going to survive. And it seems counterintuitive that you go, it, in a way, it is actually a better strategy to be less profitable if the customers are better taken care of. Absolutely. And That's why whenever we hear about something, you know, if someone doesn't like our bacon, we're getting a better grade bacon. If someone thinks it's too loud, I'm not looking if it's in the budget, if I can buy sound machines. Uh, and sometimes it's being creative. I can't afford to have a massage therapist on staff, but we can partnership with a local black female owned business to bring that to our guests and finding a solution every single time. And doing it quickly. Yeah, and a, and a big byproduct of this is it creates a culture. If it is known that the customer experience or the product or whatever your business is, that that comes first over profit, it makes decision-making much easier. It makes a server or someone working in the kitchen or someone working the rooms, it makes their decision-making easier that if there's a decision that needs to be made on the spot, well, I don't have to go to Eric and be like, is this okay if I do this? If it makes customer experience better, do it. If they don't like something, offer them something else, and it's coming off the bill. Yeah, and that is, like, then you create this culture of everybody's just looking to create the best experience without this fear of, like, am I going to get in trouble for this? Sometimes it doesn't go right. Something is done, you go, that... That crossed a line. That crossed a line. I am still a manager. Yeah, like, that crossed the line. It definitely did. But if it's the first time that's happened, you say, here's why. And then it kind of guides future decision-making. Absolutely. But whoever that customer was probably got really taken care of. They had a great experience. And you go, you'd rather have that where it's a learning opportunity to be like, hey, that's a bit far. This is still a business. I am still a manager. We've got lines. We don't give away alcohol. But uh, if you don't like something in your food, I mean, if you, we can do the champagne, we can send stuff out, something dessert-wise out. We just have to ring it in. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you just, that's, you know, enough just business uh, responsibility of just ringing in, making sure our budget has it, but let's send it out. Honestly, I, I've heard our chef say, if I'm not seeing comps, I'm a little worried because hmm. we're not taking care of people and we're not paying attention. Now, you strike me as someone that has a high level ability to deal with stress. Here or there, I've worked on it. That's, that's an interesting thing to say, because my next question was going to be, is this something that you've just always been able to manage no. high levels of stress? The pan- on a personal note, the pandemic was hard. Yeah. Um, w- living with that $800,000 loan with the bank giving you no grace on your mortgage and just knowing that bills were coming and having to figure it out, I got into the stress thing. You know, I got in, <laughs> I, I would send angry messages to like, the tourism boards that were talking more about the big box hotels instead of the small people. I definitely a uh, big proponent for talk therapy. Hmm. Um, so, t- you know, just 
taking care of myself, addressing things, um, make taking care of my mental health has been so important. Part of the move out here from working 24 hours a day, you know, I can handle stress 10 hours a day. You know, it's about a, the shift I work, but then I do a lot. I mean, I live on Lake Harriet. I kayak. I uh, sit in a hammock. I fish. Um, even in the winter, I've got sleds. I make sure to spend time with friends and family. And shout out to my Aunt Holly, not just uh, therapy, but one of the wisest people I've ever met, has talked to me and helped me grow a huge amount in my ability to handle stress. And it's still something I work on. Uh, when things hit the fan, I always just want to jump into action, but there, I need to flip that switch that says everything is going wrong and that's okay. We're just going to keep on going. Obsessed on stress. Uh, like that's something I talk about with my general manager on goals. I'm still growing with it is some, it's a skill that is practiced and sharpened, but it is a balance of, uh, making sure, you know, I live a great life in Minneapolis. I've eaten so well. I've gone to so many fun things. I've seen so many, so much great music and, um, really enjoyed my time here when I wasn't doing that as a business owner. I was not enjoying Philadelphia. We were not going out. We were not refilling the bucket. Um, but I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, and just to know that your team reacts from how you come in. If you come in on a bad day, the team's going to be on a bad mm -hmm. day and the captain needs to steer the ship. Um, so I do think that it's a skill that I'm gaining quite a bit. And that is an important thing to point out is I think one thing I've learned and it's kind of a an unsettling thing to realize is when you're in high amounts of stress, oh, well just do something you enjoy. And you go I I don't have I don't enjoy anything. It's like <laughs> it's a legitimate there's a legit All I can think about is my stress. Legitimately, like it can consume <laughs> you. Like during during COVID there were periods of time where it was like oh, I could take some time off, but I go I don't even know what you know I would what one want thing to I do. did? I would scroll through other local similar properties like Cape May and I at hunting moms i'd look for mom haircuts because that was our target demographic for a bed and breakfast and i'd follow them like a couple of the photos comment on their how cute their kid was and i rose our instagram follower from that from 500 followers to 3500 followers <laughs> in about three months of just scrolling 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 all right we're gonna go to i target geographic areas and I found just person-to-person -person Instagram marketing because we had no money to do anything else. <laughs> and the, you, on the one hand, you go, see? see? See what happens if I work all the time? Things, look at us now. We've got 3,500 followers. Like, that was seven times increase from what we had. I wish I would have relaxed. It, that's what I'm saying is there's always something that could be done. But That was crazy. And it's it, it, the link between like your mental to the physical yeah and if i could just do a shout out to all hospitality professionals that's please, what i'm saying take care of your mental health life gets better i look at pictures of my eyes just my eyes from those days and my eyes now of finding balance you know putting things in their place and taking care of myself reaching out to friends and family getting a licensed professional to talk to regularly it doesn't mean you're broken it just means that this world requires that level of maintenance and it's, and that becomes a real thing is I think 
like, and based on stuff I've read about just like the, you can rewire your brain. Oh yeah. It can be extremely positive or in the case of just handling insane amounts of stress, it can be this rewiring where all of a sudden you find yourself in that scenario where you go, well, I don't even know what would make me not stressed. Yeah. Your brain like rewires itself to become accustomed to you. This is life. So we have to cope as well as possible to the point where if I'm not working, I'm now stressed that I'm not working at this. You know, exact it was actually, moment. I did Noom and they started me in like the behavioral health stuff and teaching me like all or nothing thinking and teaching me thought distortions, mm -hmm. teaching me box breathing. That was the first step for me. Mm -hmm. Was just, So if anyone's out there, just maybe uh, do some box breathing. First step. It, and that's the approach I took. <laughs> it's like, because for me, it was very much like, okay, so if there's this mental to physical connection, then what's the physical back to mental? How do I rewire it? But like, <laughs> because of the way I think about things, I'm like, I'm going to just force it as much as possible. And instead of being like, oh, I'm going to start to focus on my mental health. I go, well, I need to focus on the physical now and that'll start to rewire. But then you take some good things out of that. You start to realize what's working. And then you start to, one of the big things for me is this podcast has been extremely helpful in a big way yeah. because you have a lot of people on and you go, oh, one, I'm not alone in the way I'm thinking about things. I'm yeah. not a crazy person for being this stressed. And the people that I talk to that have had success, that have ha that have businesses that are dealing with this, you go, oh, I, I actually don't have that unique of an experience going on here. But I, we also need to give ourselves grace. We all went through something very hard. I was at 0% occupancy with a large mortgage for multiple, multiple, multiple months. And that, that takes damage, and that's how your brain learned to. You talked about neural pathways before. Um, one thing I did do is I uh, stopped drinking for a year. Mm. Uh, I reprogrammed that to feel my feelings, to, uh, you know, while I still drink a little now, my entire relationship with alcohol changed. Shout out to Annie Grace's The Naked Mind. Um, great book, and her app, The Alcohol Experiment, helped me a lot. And that's where the, the stress relief. I was having panic attacks pretty often. I haven't had a panic attack in a year and a half. And that is because I've started taking care of them, taking li better life choices. So that's my big thing moving forward. If I do buy this next thing is making sure I have a team with me. And you talked about talking to other people that when you, when it's just the two of you and guests and everyone wants to hear the same story of, Oh, how did you get into this? You're so young. Where are your parents? <laughs> so your family owns this. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of that. Like, <laughs> actually I'm the owner. I just did all this work, <laughs> but uh, moving into, I want a team and to, because no one can do this alone. Isolation is a killer. Uh, and that's what we're all coming out of. And that's a great part of hospitality is it's need in the world. And it's, necessity for connection that people have and we are facilitators of that uh and i hope to continue to make those moments because we go who knows when the next hard time is coming you gotta soak it up while you can you got it we all came from a lot and you know my i was talking to my dad he's like i wish we would have gone out to eat more and had more vacations you don't get to take the money with you uh but you remember the experiences you know i was talking like jamaica when we were kids like yeah you remember that even when you're an adult. How much do you remember about how much money we saved? And that's another thing about the mental state you're in is, I, I forget where I read about this, but it is an interesting theory that most humans do not live in the moment. And that's such a cliche. But the way it was phrased was humans are time travelers. They spend most of their mental state either thinking about 
what has happened and that tends to go negative. Not a, And this is where like gratitude becomes very important is a lot of people can get in the trap that when they're thinking about the past, they're just thinking about the bad things. And then when they're thinking about the future, they're anticipating the potential bad things as opposed to actually being like, what is happening right now? Like what is actually going on today in this moment? What then like, yeah, don't wish it away. And so most humans spend most of their time not in the current moment. They're time travelers. And yeah. I was like, that's a really interesting concept because that's where you find yourself. It can be very positive, but it can also very quickly spiral negative. If you're thinking about like, oh my gosh, the, this happened in the past and I wonder what this person thinks about me and I wonder how, and then in the future, think about all the things that could go wrong. And also like, I can't enjoy now. I need to sacrifice this so that I can enjoy it in the future. Yeah. Like make sure you're enjoying it now. And that's what I'm really enjoying about getting out at 5 p.m. Is, is I am my pursuing my professional career, but I'm also able to be at every family function to spend time uh, with the woman I love, to be uh, able to experience this great city and to go out and, and enjoy it and to not feel like I'm letting life pass me by just because I need a paycheck. And then that Macklemore song comes on good old days yeah. where it's like, you don't know the good old days are happening until well, they already happen. Like, You're like, Oh God, <laughs> is that happening to me right now? Is this actually the good part? Isn't there a twilight zone where a guy has a magic watch that he can skip every boring part in his life. And then he looks up after a day and he's an old man. That, also an Adam Sandler movie. Oh, yeah. like, huh. well, I, <laughs> but it, it, that is, I mean, that can, that can happen so quickly. Yeah. And especially with a job like you have in hospitality and being a business owner is there are so many things that can be focused on about what's going wrong. And it is kind of hard to sit back and be like, well, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like, let's take your role. Hewing's an awesome spot. It is. People go there because they want to get away from it all. So it's this space from the hotel side that people, I mean, you see the number of staycations you see, mm -hmm. you go, because I was thinking about that, that I'm like, this is wild that people will travel 15 minutes away from where they live for a staycation. And you go, that shows the importance of connection, the importance of that, just the mental space of getting away to the point where it's like, I just want to be in a different physical space to just get in a different mental mindset yeah. than where I am. And to be taken care of. And that goes back to what you were saying about doing meaningful work is there, there are uh, psychological studies that show it's weird the parallels you see between like this study of these uh, successful businesses and then just the psychology of how humans work is money, salary, what you get paid is not the number one determining factor in job satisfaction. The number one determining factor is meaningful work. Do the people in their job role feel like they're doing meaningful work? And for you, it's very obvious that hospitality is meaningful to you. And that's why, like, this job makes so much sense and why there do seem to be a lot of parallels between theater and hospitality. Oh, yeah. When you really think about it, it's like theater, your goal is that someone is coming to a show and enjoying it much more than they expected from this performance. And it's not just, you know, the great thing about trained actors is they're trying to find human connection. Go on. Uh, so it's not just I'm going to do a monologue for you. It's... I am trying to affect you and connect with you so we can have a shared moment. And so like the, the silence before an actor speaks, everyone shares. People pay for that. They pay to sit in a room and share an experience together. Same as in a restaurant. That's why you don't do always just do takeout. It's not just the food. It is 
the culture of that goes into it, the tradition that goes into it, the atmosphere, hewing especially, uh, kills in the atmosphere. It, it, those big windows have done so much for my vitamin D. <laughs> and by the way, anyone can come in and just work in hewing. We want to be known as the North Loop's uh, living room. You don't need to buy anything. Come hang out. Be a part of it. We are very communi- community-orientated. Uh, we were selling Girl Scout cookies in the lobby the other day. <laughs> but uh, definitely, it's a place that it wants, I think, benefits from its connection to Minneapolis. Um, when I was going through the dating apps, it was pretty weird seeing my job. Like in the background, we've got a very Instagrammable skyline photo, mm-hmm. and I think half of Bumble's <laughs> profiles <laughs> are on the Ewing's rooftop. Uh, yeah, I can confirm that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely got a place in community, and that's why I applied to Ewing. My uncle, Dan Collison, is a community leader. He was invited when it first came out, and he's been talking to me about it for years, uh, about how this is great boutique hotel, uh, really doing the things you want to do. Uh, so I actually applied for a lot of jobs with Hewing. I was ready to start as a server if they wanted me to because I wanted to see what they had to do. Uh, and I came in at a tough time. It was right when Four Seasons opened mm. and still post-pandemic, so everyone was scrambling to hire. Uh, people were being poached left and right. There was a lot of days I was setting up the bar or working. You know, I started in this morning, but I've worked every shift in that place. There was 18-hour days and clopins and all sorts of craziness for a couple of months. Uh, but now we've got a fantastic team. Uh, this, the program is in a great place. Our drink program, our food program, our brunch, uh, and even just how our food is. It's locally connected. I think people want that Minnesota experience, mm. uh, which Hewing specifically, you know, it's it's not the Four Seasons. But then again, these are Minnesotans. They wear blue jeans even if they're billionaires. <laughs> Um, so it's, it is hospitality about pretension. It's a place that feels warm. Uh, I don't know if I've said it, Huga. Uh, Huga uh, is a Scandinavian term mm-hmm. for coziness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially in the winter, in the rooftop, in the summer. Uh, and as an employee, I'm able to do like the thermoculture. We've got the sauna and the hot tub. That is, I mean, I tell every single employee do this because that's why people love it. To, on a winter day, to be able to go out steaming from that sauna or into that hot tub and then do a snow angel and the pictures you get, it's all about the experiences. And while people are paying a premium, they should, and beyond that, people are paying a premium. So in hospitality, who am I to not give them a premium experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've run out at Hewing to get uh, mirrors for brides, uh, full length mirrors. Thank you, Target. <laughs> um, or I have run uh, bottles of champagne almost is up to the roof on off hours or uh, brought women coffee at no charge because we don't charge for coffee in the lobby if you're going to order it through room service I am not going to charge you enjoy I'm happy <laughs> to bring it up uh, and it's just the little things of taking care of people because it can be luxury and hoity-toity but if it's not doesn't have that personal connection it's going to fall flat and it's about giving it consistently the person who comes in at 8 a.m. and the person who comes in at 2 p.m. or, you know, to the drinks at, at the bar. I think we're really growing on that and making sure that we respect um, how important this is to everyone. You know, part of my job is reading every single guest survey in the hotel, not just for the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Every single guest is given a survey, and that's one of my greatest tools. I read those in real time, and I, read, I share the good with the team. I share the bad with the team. Uh, and we react to it instantly. Uh, and I think that 
a place that still seems alive, that doesn't seem corporate or cookie cutter. We are part of a hotel group, but we are still a local boutique hotel. People, that just rings true with Minnesotans. Yeah, and that's just as it's so hard to build a reputation, but it's so easy to break it. And if you're not paying close attention to these things, you won't realize it's broken until it's too late. Yeah. It is nearly impossible as a business to lose a reputation or to end up having a bad reputation and then flip it. And it's this attention to detail. It's the small things. It's the, it's the, the way, how do you just feel about a business seems to be such a big part of how people make their decisions. It's no surprise to me that like, what's the vibe? Mm-hmm. has become like the most popular way for you, yo- you know that's how we say it but it's you talk like old yogis and you'd be like you're feeling the aura but it's real yeah and, it's real and it's the, energy and like even us as like mainly a cpg brand you know selling to retail doing wholesale coffee mostly behind the scenes work it's still just like it surprises me when you hear people that you go well why do you like that you go it's it's it, it why well, they they seem fun and i'm like that's is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? That it's like, well, the, but to focus on the coffee. And you're like, well, if they love the coffee and they go, this is fun, you go, that's a good thing. But you're like, it's not like I set out and I go, we're going to be fun. It's just <laughs> like, but the feel there is like, I think that's why people go to Hewing is because it is like the joke me and my buddy Kamal have is like, we can't go to Hewing and not end up running into a large group of people that yeah. we know. Yeah. And you just always end up running into North people Loops that you living room. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's why is because like that's where people go to meet up with people yeah. because you kind of end up running into people either that, you know, well, or that you've seen before you've seen around and that, but the thing is, is that includes the staff that includes the yeah. team that includes the bartenders that includes the servers. And it's that feeling of going to a place and being like, I'm just comfortable when I'm here. Greeted by an old friend. It is a difficult thing to accomplish. And I think sometimes because like you're definitely in the food and beverage industry, I'm like adjacent in my opinion, being a supplier that we kind of take that for granted. It's like, well, we kind of know a lot of people in the industry around town. So it's not as rare for us for that to happen. I mean, we ran into each other at Suki and Mimi, oh, and all yeah. of a sudden I was like, I was like, this entire corner of people was like, oh, we know like everyone in this area of the bar right now. It's like this, but like for a person not in the industry, someone that is taking on stresses of a job outside of that industry and going to a place and getting that feeling, it's a more rare thing. And so to take conscious efforts to cultivate that is necessary, but it's not a, it's not a reward right away when you do that. Because it takes someone probably coming five, six, seven times before they realize that it's like, oh, they're not just being friendly. Like, I now know this person or I know this place and they know me. And it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a regular uh, who, when he comes in, I have his cortado ready and I greet him by name, shake his hand, pull out of his chair because that is, he's an old school gentleman. That is the type uh, of service he wants. And that's why he comes back two or three times a week. And that is, I think, one of the, I was going to say one of the negative effects of COVID. Uh, almost all the effects were negative. But <laughs> the emphasis on service seems to have shifted a bit. I think QR codes have become more common. <sighs> uh, I think a big part of it is hiring is much more difficult Very than difficult. before the COVID. So that's de- a definite impact is that it's just harder than ever to have a full team 
especially a full team all the time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you need to treat people like volunteers nowadays. You need to say, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing this industry. Thank you for finding it honorable when it's hard. It is stressful. It is. You need to say, this is honorable what I'm doing. Uh, I love, you know, it was Anthony Bourdain's book that I read, Kitchen Confidential. I was like, this isn't just, I'm, I heard someone call me in New York. Oh, you're just a waiter. Oh, it's okay. I don't judge you because you're just a waiter. I was like, I'm a damn good waiter. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that mindset. It's like whatever job you're in. And and it's like, I would like to think I have this mindset. It's like, no matter what I'm doing, I go, I'm going to do the absolute best I can at it because there is a satisfaction that's taken out of that. But that can quickly disappear if you feel burnt out. Absolutely. And you feel unappreciated. Absolutely. Well, appreciation, complimenting people. Um, I've been called a little over complimentary. <laughs> Eric, I mean it. Uh, I'm a cheerleader for the team. I'm a maitre d' for the hotel uh, is kind of how I see myself. And I'm willing to help any department. And that's what I love. Shout out to our sales team. Shout out to our banquet team, uh, our back of house. We've got some great people working there. Uh, so you may just see us in the front. Uh, but it's because we just have this wonderful group of people that really does like each other. Uh, and, you know, if sales needs a latte, guess who's making them a latte? <laughs> uh, that's my, that's, you know, that's my love language. Uh, I go around, you know, if I see someone I see, I've made them a fully coffee in a little while. <laughs> Front desk, lattes, lattes, cooks, lattes. And that's, it, it's apparent to me, and that's kind of why I brought it up about, you find people that seem to handle stress very well. It doesn't seem to be a natural intrinsic thing. I don't think humans are born with just, I am just naturally able to handle high levels levels of stress. With a smile. Exactly. And it it kind of requires an experience or something to happen where you just go, I've experienced worse than this. I've experienced more than this. And instead of, you know, going into that death spiral of negative thoughts and thinking about where th- what might happen or what has happened or reflecting on those things and kind of just like you said, uh, how did you phrase it? It was obsess, not stress. Obsess, not stress, and the next day never carry a bad service with you. And that is a, a statement that is tied very much in the present because if something bad happens and you think about, oh, what chain reaction is this going to set off in the future? It's a terrible thing. But in like... When it comes to business and focusing on the gratitude of business, I work very hard to not be jaded about things because humans, we have this weird hyper, like superhuman ability to start taking things for granted, whether they're going poorly or they're going well. If it's going poorly, that can be a good thing because you can start to get adjusted to bad things, which again, might build that negative thought pattern. You got to get yourself out of that. But as things start to get better, you just go, well, this is just how things are. Whether it's like for us, like through COVID, we grew the online business and that's still working for us. I need to focus that, hey, this order that comes up, that's not an order number. That's a person at home that took time to go out, go to the website, spend their money on your coffee so that when I'm going to package it, it's not, oh, I got to take this couple hours to package up this coffee and make sure everything's labeled correctly and like get get it all dropped off. It's like, this is wild that this is happening and it is a wild, cool thing that's happening. And then you think about like the hotel experience. I imagine it has to be a similar thing that you go, someone is taking their time, their money, and they're like risking that time and money in a way, because have you ever gone out to eat or planned an event? 
or gone to a show that you have been looking forward to for months. You spend money that you've budgeted to be able to do this. You've taken a full weekend or a full week or your length of stay or whatever it is, and I'm, I'm carving this time out of my busy schedule, and then you show up and have a bad experience. I actually got kicked out of Cafe Wa for that. <laughs> in New York, I, was, I had worked like 18 days in a row. Uh, I went out to see the music, and I was sitting on the side with my date, and then there were all these open tables, and they told us we had to move and share our table. And I was like, whoa, 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 we just paid for tickets. Uh, and he, in the second I started arguing with him, he said, you need to come here. He t- takes me to the door. He's like, well, we're going to have a conversation. No, you're out. And, like, man, I still will never go back to Cafe Wa again. And I, he, had, he wouldn't even let me go back to get my date. Like, I will remember how I needed that yeah. and how he let me down. And, like, you know, you can learn a lot from a bad experience. I just went on a cruise. It was fantastic. But some of the service they're all doing on their phone. And it's just here, and they're always walking away. There's no connection at all. Uh, but one thing I wanted to bring up about the stress thing. I forgot to mention it earlier, but this is straight from my therapist. Uh, and I've been sharing it from my staff. Be the buoy. You know, a buoy can get knocked around in a storm. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I literally, in the tough moments, I imagine a buoy in a storm. And I says, well, it always comes back to center. When the water's calm, it'll always still be attached. That's a much more beautiful way of putting it than how how I handle it. (laughs) You've seen the the show Trailer Park Boys? (laughs) No, I haven't. Uh, they always just say the phrase, uh, one of the guys is Bubbles, his nickname is Bubs, and uh, one of the guys just always go, oh, that's the way she goes, Bubs. <laughs> <laughs> Humor is another good one. Too. Oh, yeah, and, but, but it's it's like all these combination of things that can really build, and that's one of the fun things about working with you is I have to imagine the role you're in and knowing other people in similar roles, whether it was at Hewing or otherwise, knowing that this is an ex- incredibly st- potentially stressful place to be. And how knowing how to approach it. And I think I loved what you said about it's the skill of managing stress. It's not like an ability. I think it is a skill. And having the conscious effort of working on that skill in business, in a job, I think is as important as being good at that job. Because it is the difference between between grinding it out in the short term and just saying, I'm going to I'm going to bite down and I'm just going to keep going and going and going just because versus knowing I'm going to have long-term success in this kind of requires the ability to take a step back or be, having the ability to, if it's your day off, make it your actual day off. And then if it's That's your, it's always hard. If it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what I've learned too, uh, is that a day off, Hey, guess what? Watching Netflix, five to 10 hours or scrolling TikTok or just being consumed in a way that you're still not fully relaxed and you're still that it, it, that's not good either. Yeah. And it's kind of shifted back to the thing that I was brought up earlier is like, what would I do with time off? Now I've realized that it's like, Oh, my time off is still productive, but it's not work. Yeah. It's always hard for me. My, my days off are Monday, Tuesday. And I, I can't treat it like a Saturday, Sunday. I'm always, I always feel really guilty. You know, someone else can be lazy and relax on a, a Saturday. And I'm like, well, it's Monday. Got to get to it. I relate to that quite a bit, uh, especially when, going back to there's always something that can be done. But 
there's no use in doing it now if you're going to if it's going to put you in a state in the future yeah. that you're not going to be able to and that's where well, that that's that, why I scheduled things. I scheduled yeah. this vacation. I scheduled dinners. I scheduled time with my family. I scheduled dates with my girlfriend. I make sure that that's on there. First of all, it makes sure I'm going to do it. Then it gives me something to look forward to. During the stress is like, well, at least I'm going on a carriage ride tonight. <laughs> and like for, for me now, it's like the days off that I like look forward to things that in the past I might have just seen as like work or not relaxing that it's like, oh, my other work. <laughs> and like, yep, I'm the thing about uh, getting obsessed with something right now. It's pickleball. pickleball. Uh, very, very into it all of a sudden oh, as, of a, as of a few weeks ago that it's like now. If I'm relaxing or if I'm doing something like that's my day off and I go, that's awesome. And I've kind of realized that I can actually do that and have fun and not be thinking about it and be doing activities that are mentally engaging as opposed to viewing it as I need to turn off my brain. I've realized for me personally, I go, I don't think that's fully possible. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like meditation and box breathing and all these are fantastic, but tend to be like 20, 30 minutes. And yeah. now it's 8 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, I have a full day ahead of me. But uh we definitely ran over just a bit. Oh my god! But this it was <laughs> awesome. Talk too much? <laughs> what? But it was awesome to have you in and get to know your story a bit better. And I know I referenced it before the episode. That's my favorite thing about this is there's not many opportunities to sit down to people that like. Yeah, I know you. Obviously, I've known you for a year now, but we've never actually had the chance to sit down and get to know each other like this. So it's a very cool experience. Oh, let's hang out again. Absolutely. I will end it like every other episode and say, have a nice day. 